23 years and two months ago, my life changed. On February, February 21st, 2000, Echo came home from work after uh, working all day at the preschool where she was employed. And as we were getting dinner prepared, she said, I think maybe my water just broke. And uh, it, we weren't sure. Uh, she hadn't been having any contractions. It was still uh, 12 days before her due date. But we thought, well, we'd better get this checked out. So we kind of lackadaisically, you know, ate dinner, finished getting ready. And we thought, well, we'll go to the hospital and see. We went thinking they'll probably just tell us it was nothing and send us home. But they examined Echo and said, oh, no, your water broke. And as the nurse was admitting her, she said, you're not leaving here without a baby. And we said, oh, this is real. This is happening. Okay. And uh, I'll spare you all the details of labor. You can ask Echo if you really want to know that. But uh, fast forward to the next afternoon at about 3 o'clock when our first child, Cabrina, was born. And I don't remember all the thoughts that were going through my head as I held my infant daughter for the first time. But I do remember thinking, I'm a father. I'm a father now. I'm a father. I was just trying to wrap my head around this change in status that had just occurred. And it wasn't like it was a surprise. We'd had about nine months to try to get used to the idea. We knew it was coming. But the fact that there was a process leading up to it didn't make the actual moment any less astounding for me. In that moment, my life changed in a wonderful, profound way. And I've never been the same. Sometimes when change happens in our lives, it happens gradually over time, and we're only really aware that it's happened with the benefit of hindsight as we look back. But other times, our lives really do change in a moment. There is a process leading up to that moment. There's a lot that follows from that moment, but in that moment, everything changes. If I were to ask you about what some of those moments of profound change have been in your life, I wonder what you would tell me about. You might tell me about some not-so-pleasant moments, some painful moments when your life has changed. For some, you might think back to that day when the divorce was finalized or when your spouse told you they didn't want to be married to you anymore. You might think about the death of a loved one or the day you got that terminal diagnosis. You might think of a loss of some sort. I imagine that you might, if you were honest, tell me about some of the worst days of your life. But you'd probably also tell me about some of the best days. Because when you think about those moments when your life changed in a profound way, if you have kids, you'd probably tell me about the days that they were born. If you're married, you might tell me about your wedding day. You might tell me about the day that you started a new adventure, the day you moved to a new city, the day you started a new job. You might tell me about the day that you met someone who'd become a, a, a close friend and an important person in your life. I would imagine that high on that list of moments that would come to mind, for many of us, would be the moment, the day, that you said yes to believing in Jesus. When you said, okay, I admit, I need help. Please forgive me of all the wrong things I've done. I confess that I believe in you, Jesus. I choose to devote all of my life for the rest of my life to you. And in that moment, your life changed. There was a process that led up to that. There's a lot that's followed from that moment, but something amazing happened in your life in that moment. It's that amazing, profound change that I want us to think about today 
as we continue in in our series called Supernatural, Partnering with God for the Extraordinary, talking about the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does in our lives. And that moment of conversion, that moment of salvation, really is an extraordinary moment in our lives. It is a supernatural moment. It's a moment when the Holy Spirit powerfully worked in us. The Holy Spirit is powerfully and intimately involved in that moment of salvation. That's what I want us to think about today. Part of what the Holy Spirit does is to change and transform us. And that includes the change he brings to transform our character to look more and more like Jesus. That's something we'll look at in a couple weeks. But today we're just focusing on that moment of initial change. That moment of salvation, of conversion. And how the Holy Spirit is involved in that moment. We want to consider how does the Holy Spirit begin the process of transformation in our lives? And how do we cooperate with him in that? Uh, The Bible has a lot to say about this. I've tried to summarize it under three headings. And first, uh, we can see that the Holy Spirit shows us our need for change. How does he work to bring change in our lives? Well, first of all, he shows us that we need to change. Look at John 16. When he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. That phrase, prove to be in the wrong, is sometimes also translated as convict. The Holy Spirit convicts, he convinces the world that they're wrong about these three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the world in this context includes everyone who hasn't believed in Jesus. So at one point in time, that included all of us. It may still include some of us. If you're here and you haven't believed in Jesus, you were in the world. The Holy Spirit brings a conviction and a convincing about sin. Jesus says about sin because people do not believe in me. The Bible presents sin as the root of all of our problems. If we're going to experience real and lasting change in our lives, we've got to confront that reality. But this is hard for folks to do because sin is not a category that we like to think in terms of. Many people aren't used to thinking in this category. We don't like to admit that something we've done is actually objectively wrong. We might not even like to tell someone else that what they've done is actually wrong. Unless it's something especially heinous. But we've been conditioned to stay away from this language of right and wrong, of sin. And it really, the, the counsel of our, the culture around us is not to think in these terms, to not worry about sin, but just reframe the way you think about it so you won't feel guilty about it. This is uh, true. We see this a lot with sexual sins, but it's with sins of any kind, especially those that don't directly in, uh, hurt another person. The counsel of the world is don't think about it as sin. In this way of thinking, the problem isn't sin, The problem is feeling guilty about it, so the solution is just don't feel guilty about it. Just pretend it's not wrong and don't feel guilty. And so we need the work of the Holy Spirit to convince us that no, actually, actually, there is such a thing as right and wrong. Actually, even if it's just something happens between you and God, it's still sin. And and it's the work of the Holy Spirit to convince us of that. And to convince us that we need Jesus to solve that problem of sin in our lives. 
It's another reason why it's hard for people to deal with sin is because it, 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 it's an affront to our pride to think that we can't take care of it ourselves. It's hard enough to admit that we've actually sinned, but then to admit that we can't fix that problem on our own is even tougher. So we need the work of the Holy Spirit to convince us, no, you, the, the problem is sin and the solution is Jesus. The solution is the forgiveness and spiritual cleansing that you find when you believe in Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit to convince us that we can't fix it on our own, that we can't handle it ourselves, that we've got to believe in Jesus in order for our sin to be taken care of. The Holy Spirit does this work. He brings conviction. He, he brings a convincing that we're wrong and a motivation to do something about that. Uh, conviction is feeling bad about our sin and being motivated to change. Uh, it's both, both of those are necessary for conviction. It's not just feeling bad. It's feeling bad and being motivated to change to some kind of response. The Holy Spirit brings us conviction about sin. And Jesus says, about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Jesus uh, shared these words with his disciples on the night before he was crucified. And when people saw Jesus die on the cross, they could have thought the fact that he's dying in this way shows that he was wrong in what he said. It shows that he wasn't right, that he wasn't the righteous one that he claimed to be, that this, is a, a, this shows that he was wrong because otherwise he wouldn't die in this way. Jesus wants to make sure his disciples don't have that misunderstanding. And he's saying the Holy Spirit is going to help the world not have that misunderstanding either. Because uh, Jesus' death on the cross does not show that he is unrighteous, but actually his ascension to heaven to the Father is a vindicating sign showing he is the righteous one. And because of his death, he can make others righteous as well. And so the Holy Spirit convinces us of this, that Jesus is the one who can make us righteous. See, it, it's not enough that we just believe that, that we have a sin problem and admit that. It's not just that we believe that believing in Jesus will forgive us and cleanse us. We believe in, by believing in Jesus, we're trusting that he's actually going to make us righteous. It's not just that our sin is removed, it's that we have righteousness added to us. At that moment of salvation, you don't just get a clean slate. It's not just that your sin is cleansed. Your sin is replaced with the righteousness of Jesus. The Holy Spirit convinces us that this is possible and that we need this. He convicts us of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Jesus says about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Again, when Jesus died, there was a sentence of guilt that had been proclaimed against him. But that judgment was not a, that's not a trustworthy judgment of Jesus. To think that what Pilate and the religious leaders said about him was, was true and accurate. Actually, uh, far from Jesus being condemned, it's actually the prince of this world, Satan, who's condemned. And Jesus' death and especially his resurrection proves that. The Holy Spirit applies that truth to us, even before we know Jesus, to convince us that, that a future judgment is coming. But Jesus is not the one who is judged, but the one who will judge. And we have a choice to make. On that day of judgment, will we share in the condemnation of the prince of this world, 
or will we share in the vindicating victory of Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit convinces us that that judgment's coming and convinces us to choose Jesus. This is all work that the Holy Spirit does before we have that moment of belief. He's preparing us for that decisive moment of repentance and faith. It's part of the process that leads up to that moment. So how do we partner with the Holy Spirit in this work that he does? Remember last week I talked about how we want to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We want to raise sails for the wind of the Spirit to fill. So how do we raise a sail to cooperate with the Holy Spirit when it comes to his convicting work? Well, if you haven't yet believed in Jesus, uh, the way to cooperate is to pay attention to the work that he's doing in you. Do you, uh, do you think and feel differently about your need for Jesus than you used to? Do you think and feel differently about a need for forgiveness than you used to? Is the thought of being freed from condemnation on a future day of judgment meaningful to you now when it didn't used to be? Those are all signs that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. And the way to respond to him is to, is to move closer to belief and to lean into that, and to be ready to ask for forgiveness and to receive his righteousness. And today can be the day that you do that. But even if we've believed in Jesus, we can still cooperate with the Holy Spirit in this convicting work that he does. But I have to give a caution here. I think sometimes in our effort to join the Holy Spirit in his work of conviction, what we actually end up doing is condemning people rather than bringing conviction. Uh, condemnation is just making someone feel bad about what they've done, and that's not conviction. Feeling bad about our sin, that can be guilt, that can be shame, that can be condemnation, but it's not conviction unless it prompts us to make a change. And I think many zealous Christians, in an effort to help the Holy Spirit out, have ended up telling people how wrong they are, you got to feel really guilty for what you've done, and maybe what people have done is wrong. And maybe they do need to feel guilty. But feeling guilty is not the point. Making people feel guilty is not the point. The Holy Spirit makes us feel guilty. He exposes the guilt that we have so that we will repent, so that we will change. So I want to encourage you as a starting point in cooperating with the Holy Spirit in conviction, start in prayer. Start by praying for the people you know who don't know Jesus yet. Pray that they would experience Holy Spirit conviction. Start in prayer. And then from a place of prayer, proclaim the truth. Proclaim what's true about Jesus. Proclaim what's true about what's good and what's right and what's wrong. Proclaim the truth. And it's going to give our proclamations of truth a lot more weight. They're going to come with more power if our proclamations are backed up with how we live. It's going to give that proclamation a lot more power if that proclamation doesn't change when we're suffering and when we're under opposition, when, when others are pushing back against us. If we maintain a faithful witness, the Holy Spirit can use that to bring conviction. Throughout history, we see examples of that. Christians who stayed faithful in their witness, even unto death, the Holy Spirit used that to bring conviction even to the ones opposing and persecuting them. So we stay faithful in that witness even when we're being opposed and we model a righteous life. To the people we're saying, hey, you need Jesus' righteousness, we show what that looks like. Look at 1 Peter 2. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. 
Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Man, we could preach a whole sermon just on these verses. The idea that we're foreigners and exiles, not at home in this world, but we're still in this world. That people that don't have God, pagans as they're referred to here, are going to accuse us of doing wrong. They're going to not get what we're about. They're going to misunderstand and mischaracterize us. But still, the call is for us to live a good life, which includes on the negative side, abstaining from sinful desires, and on the positive side, doing good deeds that people can see so that they will glorify God. What we want to do is live lives that demonstrate the truth of what we proclaim. And when we do that, we're raising a sail that the Holy Spirit can fill with his wind to bring conviction to the people around us that need to know and believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit does this work. He shows us that we need to change, and then he changes us. In that moment, he changes us. The Bible talks about this in a few different ways. Uh, Look, for example, at Titus 3. It says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Notice how all three members of the Trinity are involved in our salvation. God the Father is our Savior because it's his mercy, his love, his kindness that's the foundation of our salvation. Jesus Christ the Son is our Savior because it's through him that we're justified, we're made right with God. But the Holy Spirit also saves us because we are washed by him. We experience the washing of rebirth and renewal. Rebirth is one of those images that scripture uses to describe the profound change that happens at that moment of belief. It's like we get such a brand new start. It's like our life starts over in that moment. It's such a radical change. It's like we're reborn. It's like we're born again. That's the language Jesus used when he was talking to Nicodemus in John 3. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everything, everyone born of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus says that we're born of water, flesh gives birth to flesh, he's talking about natural childbirth. When he says, but spirit gives birth to spirit, we're born of the spirit, we're born again, that's talking about the supernatural work that the Holy Spirit does to bring us alive spiritually. That's another image that scripture uses to talk about this change, that we were dead, but now we've been made alive. We were spiritually dead, Now we are alive in a way we never were before. And this is a work that the Holy Spirit does in us. Like what Jesus said in John 7. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. 
Whoever believes in me, will rivers of living water, the spirit will flow from within them. The source of life bubbles up from within us and makes us alive. The spirit brings life. John 6, 63, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Romans 8, 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The Holy Spirit makes us alive. We are renewed in the language of Titus 3, 5. This is a work the Holy Spirit does in us. So how do we cooperate with him in this work? Well, again, if you haven't believed, believe today's your day. Today is that day of profound change for you. You can experience being born again. You can experience receiving this new life. Respond to the work he's doing in your life today. But even for those of us who have already believed, there's still a way that we cooperate with the life-giving spirit of God. And we do it when we do what Paul says in Romans 6, 11. He says, um, he says, count yourselves, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. There's a way that we think that's in line with who we actually are now. We're actually alive, so we're going to think like people who are alive to God and are dead to sin. And when we do that, Paul says, we're not going to let sin reign in us. Sin is no longer going to lead us. Sin is no longer calling the shots in our life, but the Holy Spirit is. He's reigning. We're following his lead. We're doing what Paul said in Romans 8, 5 through 8, when he says, set your minds on what the spirit desires. Don't set your minds on what the flesh desires. The flesh is us apart from God, but we're no longer apart from God. So don't think about, let's not think as if we were apart from God. Set our minds on what the spirit desires. What we want to avoid is becoming zombie Christians. Christians who are alive-ish and walking around, but still look and act and smell pretty dead. <laughs> this is when we're, we're not sure if we're really alive in God or, or dead to sin or not. We still, are, we still are kind of following the lead of sin at least some of the time. This is when we're, our mind is sometimes set on the things of the spirit, but a lot of time set on the things of the flesh. And, and so we're, in, we're living in this in-between state. It doesn't reflect what's actually true of us, but we're living in that way. Folks, that is a miserable way to live. Some of us can testify it's miserable to live that way. And what an unappealing picture we're presenting to the people around us of what it means to follow Jesus. That's not the abundant life that Jesus said he came to give. That's not living as someone who has rivers of living water welling up from within them. We have been reborn. We have been renewed. We have been made alive. So let's live in a way that's consistent with our actual condition. It's amazing. There's something about our will that gets to be involved in this. Part of how we cooperate with the life-giving spirit of God in us is to exercise our will. It matters in how we think about ourselves, in what we think about and what we choose to give effort and time and attention to. We exercise our will to live as one who has been made alive in what we think and in what we do. And that's a sail that we raise that the Holy Spirit can fill so we experience his life more and more fully in us and model to others what that life looks like. The Holy Spirit shows us our need for change he changes us, and he assures us that we have been changed. 
In those first few days after we brought Cabrina home from the hospital, it was surreal that I was now a dad. Like, I knew it had happened, like I wasn't, you know, in some kind of denial, but it still, it just didn't feel real right away. It was such a big change, like, was it a dream? Did it really happen? You know what helped me realize that it really had happened? What helped it go from being surreal to really real? Yeah, well, changing diapers, everyone said that one. All right, good, yes. Anytime I changed her, or I fed her, or I heard her cry, or I held her, being with her convinced me, oh no, this really happened. It made it sink into that deeper level of heart reality. I felt more like a father when I was with her. In the same way, the Holy Spirit convinces us that we actually have changed by being with us. His presence with us assures us that yes, a change actually did take place. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would be with us and actually within us. Remember John 14, 16 through 17, we read these verses last week. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit of God comes into us at that moment of salvation. He indwells us, to use the theological term. He dwells within us. He lives within us. He's made his home in us, in our hearts, our mind, our soul, our spirit. And that indwelling spirit assures us that we have been changed. The Holy Spirit within us assures us that we are no longer alone or apart from God. 1 John 3, 24, and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. The Holy Spirit within us assures us that we are loved by God. We experience God's love through the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love is born poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit assures us that our understanding has changed. 1 Corinthians 2.12, what we have received is not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. We have spiritual understanding because we've been changed and the Holy Spirit in us reminds us of that. The Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit we just said, brings us life. The Holy Spirit within us assures us that we experience that life now and that we'll experience life even after death uh, because of our faith in Jesus, because the Holy Spirit is with us. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. The Holy Spirit within us assures us that resurrection awaits. The Holy Spirit within us assures us that our identity has changed. Romans 8, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself 
testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. We are no longer slaves to sin, living in fear. We are now the children of God. And the Holy Spirit we receive brought about our adoption to, to sonship. The Holy Spirit within us bears witness to our spirit, testifies that we are children of God. And the fact that we're children of God means that we are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. There is a future inheritance that awaits us that we're going to receive. Because we've shared in Christ's sufferings, we're going to share in his glory. See, it's not just our identity, but our destiny that's changed. It's not just our present but our future that's been changed and the Holy Spirit within us assures us that that is the case. That change has happened. This is similar to what Paul says in Ephesians 1 using different imagery. He says, You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Being marked with a seal refers to belonging. When you put a seal on something, you're showing who it belongs to. A seal on a royal proclamation authenticated that it really was from that ruler. That was his proclamation. A seal on a letter showed that it really was from the person who sent it. It was from them, it belonged to them. And so when we are marked with the Holy Spirit, it authenticates that we really do belong to God, that we are his. As Paul says there, we're his possession. We belong to him. And and the the Holy Spirit's not just a seal, but a deposit in us, a down payment, that initial payment now that guarantees a future full payment. We know that our heavenly future reward is certain Because we've received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit helps us experience now a foretaste of what we'll experience fully then and for eternity. The Holy Spirit assures us that we have been changed. How do we cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit? And his assurance that we have been transformed and we're being transformed and we will be transformed. Well, we, we can start by just resting in that, by believing it, by exercising faith that this has happened. And one of the ways we can do this is that when we're aware of one of those changes I just outlined, that we let that build confidence in us that all the other changes have happened as well. So, for example, if there's a time when you really feel, I really am a child of God. I really do belong to him. He really is my father. We, when we experience that, we remind ourselves, and I'm experiencing this because I received the Holy Spirit, and he brought around this adoption to sonship, and if I receive the Holy Spirit, not only is this true, but it's also true that he loves me, and he's given me spiritual understanding, and that my destiny's changed, and that I belong to him. If there's a time when we feel the love of God poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, we understand, yeah, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in me. And if that's true, it also means that I'm his child and that my identity's been changed, that I have inheritance. So we, we let our faith be built when we experience one aspect of change. We say, and therefore I believe all the rest is true as well. 
it, there is a call for us to exercise faith. But I want to underline that our feelings also matter in this. We exercise faith, but our feelings do matter. When the Bible talks about us receiving the Holy Spirit, it talks about something that we know it when it happens. We're aware that the Holy Spirit is in us. Now, this does not mean that our faith is contingent on feelings. This does not mean that if you're not experiencing some emotional or spiritual high, that your faith isn't genuine. Okay, we're, we're not going to chase or worship feelings and experiences instead of God. Uh, there are times, it's a normal part of spiritual maturity, that the old ways of experiencing God's presence don't work and we get to learn how to tune into his presence in a new way, on a new frequency. All of that is true. But denying that there's any experiential component to our faith is counter-biblical. It is against what the Bible presents as true that we are meant to experience the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so it's, it's valid to pray and say, Holy Spirit, I believe that you are in me because I put my faith in Jesus, but I want you to make yourself known in my life more and more. If there's anything that's blocking my experience of you, reveal that to me so I can repent of it because I want to experience you fully in my life. You're in me, but I want my experience to match that, that fullness that I have in you. It's, it's a way that we raise a sail to cooperate with the Holy Spirit is by seeking Him, by seeking greater intimacy with Him, by seeking more knowledge of Him, by seeking a deeper experience with Him. We're raising a sail for the Holy Spirit to fill. It's a way that we cooperate with Him. The Holy Spirit does bring change and transformation in our lives. He does this by showing us our need for change. He convicts us. If you haven't believed in Jesus, man, I want to encourage you to respond today and make that choice. He's been convincing you that you need this. Let today be the day that you, that you respond. You say, okay. Let today be a day where that profound moment of change happens in your life. Really want to encourage you to make today that day for you. If, we've, if we have believed in Jesus, then we cooperate with his convicting work that he's doing for people around us by praying, by proclaiming the truth, and by demonstrating with how we live that what we've proclaimed actually is true, and it's true for us. The Holy Spirit changes us. He, 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 uh, he makes it so that we are reborn and renewed. The Spirit brings us life. So we want to cooperate with the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit by exercising our will, by choosing to live as those who really do have rivers of living water uh, welling up within us. We consider ourselves dead to sin, alive to God. We fix our minds on what the Spirit desires. The Holy Spirit assures us that we have changed by His presence with us. The indwelling Spirit in us assures us that we are not alone, that we are loved, that we have spiritual understanding, that we all experience resurrection like Jesus did, that, that our identity has changed, we're no longer slaves but sons, that our destiny has changed, that we have a future inheritance that awaits us, that we belong to God. So we think about responding to the Lord today. For some of us, if you're here and you haven't yet believed, man, today's the day. I want to encourage you to take this step. Let today be that day of profound change. You can come and talk to one of our prayer team members. They'll be up front during the last song and right after the service. Talk to them. Talk to me. We'd love to help you take that step of belief today. Others of us are going to maybe respond in other ways to the Lord. 
Uh, maybe your response today is, is going to be a, a desire and, a, and a, a seeking the Lord to be able to demonstrate the truth of what we proclaim. Maybe there's a, a, we see some inconsistency in ourselves. We're saying, I, wanna, I really want to demonstrate it. I want to live such a good life that if someone looks at me, they'd glorify God. They'd be convinced that they need what I have. Maybe our response today is going to be to stop living like a zombie Christian, to, to not be kind of partially dead and, but, but partially alive, to say, no, I'm fully alive because the Holy Spirit's in me. And so I'm going to set my mind afresh on the things of the Spirit. I'm going to consciously consider and count myself dead to sin and alive to God because that's what's true of me. Maybe your response today is going to be just to seek God for a greater experience of the Holy Spirit in your life, to know him at a deeper and fuller level. We're not putting an agenda on that. It has to look like this. It can't look like this. We're just coming with an expectation. Holy Spirit, you're in me. I want to know you more. I want to experience you more. Make yourself more known within me. I want to encourage you to make that response to the Lord and to start by just making it to him in prayer right now. Would you bow your heads with me? Worship team, you can come back now and be ready to lead us, but just going to give you a quiet moment to express to God the kind of response that he's prompting you to today. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're present with us and you're present in our lives. Many of us can recall that process you took us through of convincing us that we needed forgiveness and righteousness and salvation. Thank you for being so faithful to work that way in us. Lord, we want to cooperate with you in all that you're doing, including bringing conviction to those who still need to believe. So help us, Lord, to do that with authenticity, that we would have a consistent, non-hypocritical witness to you. Lord, not that we're perfect, but that we're consistent in demonstrating the truth of what we proclaim. Lord, I pray that that would be more and more true of us as a church family as well, that in our corporate collective witness, we'd be, um, we'd be living a good life, that we'd draw positive attention to you, that you'd receive glory because of how we live individually and as a church family. Holy Spirit, we're grateful for the change you've brought. Thank you for giving us a fresh start. Thank you for making us alive. May we live as those who are fully alive. Sometimes, Lord, I know I can read that language of rivers of living water, and I, I feel what I feel is I've just got a trickle or a drip. And so, Lord, I pray that in my life and all our lives, it really would be rivers of living water, you, Holy Spirit, flowing in an unhindered way in us. If there's any ways in which we've attempted to build a, a canal or a channel for you, we just confess, Holy Spirit, that you get to carve your own channel in our lives. You get to work the way you want to work. And any limitations or restrictions that we've put on you, we lift now and just say, have your way. And again, Lord, for us as a church and for each of us individually, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're with, within us. May that be ever, ever more uh, true experientially for us in our lives and in this church. Have your way, we pray. In your name, amen. So, Chapel family, I bless you, I bless you, I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with the fullness of God in your life. I bless you with the well of the Spirit's life springing up within you. I bless you with the Spirit breaking out in your life 
in ways you've experienced before and in brand new ways as well. I bless you with life, fullness of life, abundant life, life overflowing. You have eternal life. May you begin to experience that quality of life now, this week. I bless you with a difference in your life as you go from this place because you've been in the presence of God. I bless the transformation that God is working in your life, in our lives right now, that he's going to continue to work as we go from this time together. So Chapel family, as we go from this place, we are blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 God bless you.